0: My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things, to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness, for your benefit, and for the benefit of those around you. So again, welcome to Begin Again. All right. Well, welcome. Today we have the highly esteemed and highly intelligent uh, Alexander John Shia. Thank you for being willing to spend your time with me. This is lovely. Thank you.
1: John, I've been looking forward to this. So thank you for the invite. Oh. Um, so Alexander,
0: I have been a fan of quadrat quadratos. Is that how you pronounce it? Close enough? Close enough. For um a while. Ever since I actually listened to some of your first interviews on the Robcast, I thought, man, the way that you were talking about faith, the way you were talking about spirituality was just resonating with me deep within but some of the people that i talk to and that listen to this maybe don't know of your work but if you could could you explain some of the things that you do how would you define yourself
1: uh lifelong devout christian uh went to the university of notre dame in the 1970s and for all the your penn state fans uh i i ask your patience (laughs) And while there, I, I was on my way to seminary, which I eventually went to briefly after I graduated. But while at the university, I was had the privilege of uh, listening to a series of lectures that Joseph Campbell gave. He came every springtime to teach in the theology faculty, which I found so really? exciting. Yes. Not literary? No, no. He was teaching Hebrew and Christian uh, scripture as sacred myth and this is in the early 1970s and he Ooh. spun the world totally uh, this was also at exactly the same moment that uh, in my scripture work at Notre Dame I was learning that the ancient first 500 years of Christianity they had read the four Gospels in a definitive cycle
0: mm-hmm
1: And the cycle is not the way that we see them in the Bible today. Mm. And I heard Joseph Campbell say to me in his lectures over and over again, that every great human story of transformation has four parts to it. Worldwide across era, Mm -hmm. you cannot reduce the story of transformation into less than four major parts. Mm. At the same point, I'm in my scripture work hearing about this ancient four-part gospel and that in the early in our early tradition they never spoke of them as plural they spoke of them as singular and they definitely seemed to that they had a way that they understood how the four fit together to form a larger story Mm -hmm. these two things happening sort of simultaneously in 1972 1973 started me on a journey which finally came to some ripeness in the year in the year 2000 so that whole time i'm trying to discover is there a way that makes sense to me at least that these four stories form what campbell talked about the journey of human transformation Mm -hmm. but also that our that our earliest ancestors understood were not four different stories of Jesus, but mm. but were but were a continuous story of, my words now the spiritual journey that we're all on.
0: Uh huh. And so, so that took you decades,
1: then. Well, it took me. It really took me my whole life, but absolutely from about 1972 to the year 2000, I wow. kept and praying and researching and a couple of times I thought that it made sense but I realized that I was sort of pushing the sh- the foot into the shoe and I and I backed off and it was like if this if there if there's something here it had to fit just seamlessly and easy and that finally happened that finally arrived for me in the year 2000
0: can can I ask, what was the, the moment like when you realized that in 2000?
1: Um, it was a day that I, I had, it was all day All Saints Day in the year 2000. Yes. And I was in northern New Mexico. I was staying at the retreat center called Ghost Ranch mm-hmm. owned by the Presbyterian Church. Um, and I had spent the day hiking mm. and I came back to my cabin at night tired physically tired but my mind was like racing
0: uh-huh.
1: and, I, and i and i and this friend had just given me a book in christology <laughs> and i thought for sure this would help me go to sleep <laughs> it didn't I, it didn't put you to sleep did it no <laughs> so i opened the book which was the reverend robin griffith jones's work called uh the four witnesses hmm and in this book, he summarizes the research at that point that we uh, about the four communities mm-hmm. when each of the gospel was written to them. Mm-hmm. And that was it. When I saw that narrative, it took me all the back all the way back through my everything that I've learned about spirituality, and I recognized that each community was wrestling with a a very specific question and the question was they were already a believer in jesus the question was tell me how to be a better follower tell me how to live um, question in this moment mm-hmm. and the four questions that uh, i saw in the narrative that uh, robin griffith jones gave us there was joseph campbell's uh the journey wow. of... and so all the threads, all my psychological, all my spiritual, all my theological, everything in that moment just became this seamless garment. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I stayed up two days and two nights. You didn't sleep at all? I I didn't sleep at all. I was just I had this huge yellow. I mean, this is long before I had an, an iPad or any of that. I had a, a legal pad and a pen. Wow. And, 10 watt bulb in this little cabin. And, and I was trying, I, I was reading the scriptures and I was writing notes because it was as if I had never seen these words before, even though I had memorized them pretty much memorized yeah. the gospel of child. What I was reading in that moment was an entirely new level of understanding. And it was the most, exciting moment in my life and also the most terrorizing moment what, because,
0: made, what made that terrorizing
1: well because it was like who the hell are you to have <laughs> a, a different way to see the gospels after all this time oh wow uh-huh but Could if, this, am, is am i really seeing this or am i making this up i mean it's like you want to you want to believe now 22 years later Mm-hmm. I have settled for myself in what I think is the bedrock truth of, of what arrived all those years ago. Wow. But I totally understand why someone else would go, I don't know about this stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, as you are talking right there, it also reminded me of, um, how heard, sometimes I don't know how to pronounce your name, Mechtild of Madbird, one of the mystics. She said that the day of my spiritual awakening was the day I saw God in all things and all things in God. But that was after years of already being a nun. And then she had her awakening. And one of the things I get from you, but I also get from people similar to like Ken Wilber and some just an evolutionary Teardian spirituality is that things, new things can still come forward. New things can still blossom. It's not this locked in system of this is what's always been said. Always say it this way. This is the safe way. But spirit's not about safe in that way.
1: Wow. To to me, the gospels are so profoundly true. Mm -hmm. that They must be true in a thousand ways. That, That great truth is not singular. It is expansive. Wow. And that as we psychologically and spiritually grow and, and understand more Mm -hmm. then gospels must lead us forward.
0: I'm going to have to think about that for a long time now. Um, maybe not for two days, but I, I did my second masters at Princeton and I, I had some emphasis in there on developmental theories such as Eric Erickson and some of these others. And so the way that psychology and spirituality can overlap is really quite wonderful in my estimation. And I I don't understand why more people don't talk about it in that way. But as I think about some of what you just said, uh, like spirit can say a thousand different things through the same text, the same truth in a thousand different ways, but you may not be ready to hear it in that way yet and that's a part of the path too is learning how to especially people who are religious leaders in some capacity right you have to learn how to notice the level that someone's at and the is it the kind of truth is it how how do you discern what kind of level of spirituality a person's ready for do you any insight
1: well it's certainly as i am now in my 70s what i understand about love is different than what i understood in my 50s is different from my 30s is different from when i was six or seven years old love is still true Mm. but the way that i understand it and the way that i respond to it i hope is much wider and deeper
0: So there is a receptivity part as well. There's a part.
1: And there's a developmental part. How is that? How's well, just. Well, when I, when I look at humanity over the last 500 years, um, about 500 years ago, we began to be extremely, intelligent in terms of critical analysis Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and our understanding of the gospel grew in that moment Mm -hmm. now we're at a point where we're bringing that critical analysis back together with devotion and heart and passion oh wow And, and to me the gospel has got to i mean to me the gospel does hold all of that it's always been there, waiting for our receptivity.
0: Mm. Which do you mind if we shift to Nicodemus? Then that was a sure. that was beautiful. <laughs> Is as I, I was reading your book at the same time that I felt as though I was going through some shifts within myself, and I came across a definition of conventional that says. The conventional is the agreed upon practices and habits of a community at the expense of individuality. And the need to belong is a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It's not bad. But when you do that for too long at the expense of your own individuality, your own self-expression, that can be a problem. Anyways, I came across that at the same time that I was Casually reading about Nicodemus. And I thought, my gosh, here is someone who, for him, it was like a developmental shift forward to join a community, join the Pharisees, got paid for them, had housing probably, right? But then he goes to meet Jesus at nighttime because he doesn't want his buddies to know. But he starts to have this is it a post conventional understanding of his own Judaism? And then, of course, I read your chapter on Nicodemus. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what's going on. He's feeling this pull into a not a, a different faith, but a different expression of the same faith. And I, I would love to hear you riff on that, if that's possible.
1: Well, um, the, the, this third chapter of John, is to me one of the most critical chapters in all four of the Gospels. And it's so much of where, it's so much of the dilemma that Christian traditions are having at this moment. Interesting, okay. Here's how I understand it. Uh, First of all, I, I think of the text of John as being the text of what I call the third spiritual path. So, and the third spiritual path is the moment that you have a larger awakening or you see a larger vision or you have a wider perspective on yourself on God and life and what we also know is at that very moment uh, which is what I call the beautiful dangerous and it's the beautiful dangerous because we have this opening and there is something in us and i don't know why there is something in us it's like one of those questions i've got from god is why is it that when we have this opening something in us tries to pull us away from it or pull us back from it there, yes. there is an inner struggle that happens and to the larger division the and the and the larger new life that we're given the larger the resistance or the larger the pushback, however you want to say that. Okay, wow. This is what is happening for Nicodemus. Nicodemus is being drawn, and again, from my perspective, let's set the context for this gospel. It's, I think, coming out of the community of Ephesus, late first century. Um, Ephesus is a community which is, widely diverse, Mm -hmm. including, including a very articulate, intelligent women's community. It's also a community which is affluent because it is the center of the Roman slave market. And you have gleaming Ephesus up above, and you have the slaves below the city locked in caves. And you've got this um, tension in the city itself. Mm. Ephesus, founded either by Paul or by one of the disciples of Paul, has heard the message in in the forties of Christ, the forties of the first century,
0: uh-huh. they've
1: heard the message about the one breath of God that calls everyone to be brother and sister to each other. It's like they got the beatific vision of a whole new understanding of everything. Yes, Uh uh-huh. Now let's, 50 years later when this gospel is composed at the end of the first century, Mm -hmm. it's all fallen apart. All the jealousies, all the sense of privilege, all the uh, competition between tribes and peoples and genders, all of that has resurfaced so much so that Ephesus, the community that saw themselves as the new Jerusalem has become the community of great delusion. Wow. Thinking thinking that the beatific vision that Jesus announced is not true. And now John in this, what I think of is one of if not the greatest spiritual texts ever revealed to us
0: yeah absolutely uh huh
1: is going to show that the tensions and the competition and the who's in the in group and who's in the out group and all that stuff is always with us but it is not the really real it's an illusion it's an illusion it, okay it, it, doesn't feel that way. It feels real. Of course. Ultimately, it's an illusion. And so this gospel, chapter by chapter, and I hope I live long enough, if I have the grace, to write a book on how the gospel of John is the manual for community, for a community that is built on an authentic diversity, not a uniformity.
0: Oh wow. Which then is consistent with later on in John's gospel. Was it sixteen or seventeen? I pray that they might all be one. Absolutely. That the ruach is been has been poured out on all people, old, young, men, women, and that's old testament principle. That's it's not a new, new testament verse.
1: No, but and, and the, the newness here is uh is the fullness of the Hebrew Ruach in the sense that the Hebrew world believed that all people are one before God, but they never went that extra step to say that we could invite the world's diversity to sit at table together. Oh, wow. It was like, you you will be before the same God in your house and we'll be before the same God in our house. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. But Ephesus is that first place that we have a record of of stepping beyond that and opening the door and saying, does it matter who your mother was? Does it matter your bloodline? Does it matter if you were slave or free? To Ephesus, which has got the slaves under their feet, does it matter whether you are slave or free? Does it matter whether you're from Africa or, or India or? Come, we have a table.
0: Oh, wow. Which, to me, that brings back when Jesus brings up the spirit blows where it wills. you It will not listen to any of the lines that you've drawn or that your community has drawn.
1: And it's... So, and this is in response to Nicodemus. Uh-huh, yeah. So, here, here's the sadness with Nicodemus. Mm. For me, he is clearly drawn towards this new wider sense of not who God is so much as who we can be as okay as as, uh, um, as, as people of the one breath oh, but, but yeah. he's
0: caught, but he's
1: caught now in his own tradition when he says to Jesus how can someone be born again? This is the tribal understanding. This is, I, I, there, we can have all the mystical discussions about this, and, and those are all true. But at core, what Nicodemus has said to Jesus is our tradition knows that we have the first promise to know Yahweh. Oh, yeah. Because we have the blood of a Jewish mother in us. Jesus, I see your goodness, but how can, by what authority do you go out and say everybody's bloodline Mm. has that first privilege? How can you put somebody who's not Jewish in a Jewish mother's body and give them Jewish blood? Yeah. So it's really a conversation about lineage.
0: Lineage and tribalism. I don't think I've ever heard it defined that way.
1: Well, but you have to understand that tribalism was the the a pan tribal understanding of God was the first gift of Ephesus. Mm. Okay. That that fifty years later, they're losing, and John's got to bring them back again to the vision and the sense of God that was there for them when they first heard the gospel.
0: I have a question then,
1: it, because it
0: sounds as though Ephesus had this understanding of being people of the one breath, but over 50 years they lost it. And it, I, I think about the Hebrew scriptures and how 40 is often understood as a generation generation right the number 40 and as i think about that it's that's a consistent struggle of every generation to pass on this insight that we are all the pe- the one people of the one breath but it what is it that every generation we keep going back to a tribal understanding of yahweh rather than this unitive glo- more than global it's cosmic right what what is, but maybe that's that pull backwards that we feel that you already mentioned.
1: And it's why um, this entire gospel, step by step, chapter by chapter, answers that question. And um, I like to, you know, why is it that in the second chapter of this gospel do we have Jesus cleansing the temple? Because this is the story of the third spiritual path and the first thing when when you when you have wider vision arrive for you mm-hmm. the first thing that you must do with that is that you must scourge clean the old vision mm. kind of scrub because un, until you until your lens from the old vision is cleared you cannot truly see the brilliance of the new. And so right here in the second chapter, the the gospel author has given us the premise for the rest of the book. Oh my gosh. And then the next chapter is going to give us the first figure that we have to look for as we want to cleanse our vision, which is Nicodemus. Who is a member of that temple. He's a member wow. of that temple. And, um, and, and and who is caught, I mean, he, he's, he's, he is us. We're drawn to the larger, we're drawn to the radiant and there's something in us that pulls us back or pulls us. And I love that, that, that the story of Nicodemus is not resolved. I mean, whereas the rest of the figures in this gospel often go, go, go through transformation show change, Mm -hmm. the story of Nicodemus stops and you're not quite sure what, you're not quite sure what Nicodemus decides.
0: That's right. And when I was reading uh, your chapter on John's gospel, which it's my favorite gospel, not just because I share a name with it. It's literally my favorite, but you also helped me to understand uh, the man that was born blind differently. And you have this emphasis that this gospel is really about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And when we read these scriptures, like you said, with a a critical analysis or historical analytical lens, we're taking a text that's deeply mystical and trying to understand it in this historical critical method. And it loses its, um, it's not that it's, Lost all of its wisdom, but it it loses some of its. I don't want to say magic. Is that the right word? It's enchantment.
1: You know. I mean, to me, this, and I'm with you. This, this, although, as I was writing the book, I fell in love with each of the four. Oh yeah. But my heart goes back to John, <laughs> because John changes everything. Yeah. There's a whole journey to get to John and there's a whole journey that flows out of John. But if you really, really get John, it changes everything. And 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 it is so it's so um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, some of our scholars today have mistakenly understood John in a very narrow way. Hmm because they have, because they think the Greek world was so wonderful. And they don't understand that John is speaking Greek to deconstruct the Greek and bring people back to an Aramaic Hebrew understanding. Wow. Which go ahead. Yeah. You you can't in, in 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 Jesus in in Jesus in Aramaic in Hebrew you could never have a statement like the light must overcome the dark. Mm. You have broken God apart in that statement. You have spoken heresy. Right. Light and dark must live together because they are from God and of God. Yeah, and
0: that goes back to your comment about integrate obviously this heavy emphasis now i here's can i share with you just a quick thought (laughs) i don't want it to you're the star really not me but no i (laughs) i feel as though i went to seminary and i learned a lot of good theologians but i had the mystics referenced but i never studied and so when I finished seminary ten years ago, I just started clock like clockwork, going through a different mystic, sometimes two a year for like the past ten years, deep dives. And I've always thought, my gosh, these people have got it. But then at one point, I actually went back and I was looking at Ephesians, which we're talking about Ephesus quite a bit. And in Ephesus, in chapter one, there's a Greek word, anakephaliosesthai, which I'm a, I'm a word nerd. But it means the gathering up of all things under the headship. Kefah, meaning head, right? And I thought to myself, my God, here's a verse that I've literally never heard a sermon about. And I've been Mm -hmm. going to church since I was born. And so I'm, I'm also fascinated by how we, in the Western world, we kind of pick and choose. What are the verses we choose to highlight? And even lectionaries do this. But... Coming across that singular Greek word reframed everything for me. Everything is going to be gathered up, united, brought together in Christ. I'm like,
1: what are we doing, people? Right. (laughs) My goodness. And, And if I can say it this way, everything already has been. Everything's already been united. Yes. Okay. And, and we've got to go through the journey to make what's really real true.
0: To do away with all the divisions. To work against the
1: separations. So if you go back to the first line of John, mm-hmm. in the beginning was the word. Except that we could, and and we know that that logos in the Jewish Greek world is everythingness or variness or allness. But if you put that back into the first lines of Genesis, Mm. and another way to understand word is breath.
0: Because it is speech and you breathe when you speak. Okay.
1: But we can equally say in our best Hebrew that God breathed the world. And actually, the even better way is not past tense, but present tense. God is breathing the cosmos at this moment. And what John is saying is that that outbreath of God is a visible manifestation of the Christos. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. We look out at the cosmos. We are seeing one of the visible manifestations of the Christ, and that, every like that settles
0: of... so nicely within me when I hear that.
1: Yeah, that it's and like... it, takes, it takes me back to because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a ritual nerd, um, and I would and I would really like our scholars to study more the the baptismal rite of the first. 500 years of Christianity when people came up out of the font from baptism all of those gathered around were chanting one of two things they chanted your name followed by a Christ or in Christ I have realizing that there's only one the Christ Uh uh-huh but Baptism is our response to what is already true, that each particle of us is part of Christ.
0: Uh, the one body, yes. I, In my class on Christian spirituality, I frequently make the comment that Christianity is in some sense the best pyramid scheme of all time. Mm. What would it look like to have 8 billion, the way I phrase it, is lowercase Christ's walking around the world, loving and healing and making it whole again. And I can sometimes, my college students, see it a shift. Maybe they don't go fully into it because that requires a whole new metanoia, right? But I can see some of them, it almost as though it it lures them. like It's like they caught the scent of something better. Like, oh, it's not just this thing where we passively... Admire what the Christ has done. But instead. And it it's so funny. We just quote the Bible back at people. It's Second Corinthians. You are a minister of reconciliation also. And the reconciling of all things. It's. I feel as though I've had some massive shifts. In my own understanding of Christian spirituality. In the past 10 years really. This long journey. And I can't go back. I can't put the toothpaste back in the in the thing. But why would I want to? Oh.
1: So it, along with that, John, one of the, the most radical things that I do with the gospel text, mm-hmm. I will not speak the gospel in past tense. What, what, what do you mean by that? Every passage of the gospel that I read, it's never Jesus said, it's Jesus says. It's never Jesus did, Jesus does. Oh, interesting. Okay. These texts are the eternal present moment texts of how the Christos lives. Wow. And the the really amazing thing is, is that whenever I do this, people come up to me and say, I've never heard that passage before. It's because as soon as we read that passage in the past tense, because we are people of the critical mind. Yeah. We put that as something that happened 2000 years ago, rather than as something that's happening right now.
0: Which then it, it leads to that separation. And if separation is the thing that we all need to recognize is the illusion. So, um, I understand that y- through quadratos you, you help people find community. Or create
1: community around this? Is that right? Um, we have a process called heart and mind, mm-hmm. a heart and mind community, which is built upon uh, you finding your your true authentic self in the midst of the gospel journey. mm Because mm-hmm. and- what I I think the greatest spiritual challenge of this century is a new form of community that we've just begun to imagine. Is wow. that rather rather than a community which is bonded together by sameness, mm. going to be a community which revels in our authentic diversity
0: in every capacity? And I mean not just physically and age, whatever, but even what does it look like to have a spiritual community that's diverse? Right? Oh, because there's a lot of belonging and defining lines that's defined by creedal adherences. Right.
1: And the, the hallmark of this community is interiorizing the practice of freedom and safety. Mm-hmm that we want to be people who are truly free and authentic. But now what we also have to discover is how to have conversation that's respectful. Yeah. Where we learn that truth often lives between rather than only in one perspective.
0: That's lovely. That sounds difficult. As Well,
1: it's it's utterly (laughs) this is the foundation of our spirituality. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, the first great artistic form of Christianity was an open door where the world's diversity could sit together as brother and sister. Hmm. But what they did that we don't do is because baptism for them was something far beyond just membership. Baptism for them came at the end of a long process of learning how to be an effective member at table, right? How to know my truth, but also how to respectfully put it in conversation with another.
0: Yeah. I've been having a lot of conversations. Um, so I I quit my church job in December of this past year. Because I felt this need in the world, but also I had this sense of calling, and I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, of like sentness. Because I've seen things and I can't unsee. I I now see the world differently than I used to. And so I've walked outside of the formal structural conventions of church walls, I guess. But I've been meeting with people six, eight conversations a week similar to this and it's so it's lovely while at the same time i hear a lot of people lament feeling like exiles mm-hmm. for seeing the world in this way which i would actually say is actually more christian yeah. and it's it's a it's bittersweet to meet with someone else who also sees the christian faith in this manner yet they feel like they don't belong do you have any wisdom for some of those people? Because I, I know that is a struggle for
1: many people. It, it, um, it, it's a struggle. I think for most people, if they're honest, okay. I think there's, I think there's a way that every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, feel like if everybody else knew, I don't know whether I would be so welcome at the table. Oh, yeah. and what, again, because I'm the ritual nerd <laughs> in those, in those first centuries, when the community came together on, on Sunday or whenever they came together, they came together and they spoke their vulnerability. Mm. Right. We we have that quote-unquote as confession of sin but it's not so much confession of sin as it is a confession of vulnerability
0: a confession of vulnerability okay Uh uh-huh
1: that i have i have a need to be here with you i have a need for you to understand that i'm on the way i have a need to understand the presence of love in the fractured places of myself and amongst us that's right and what was the what was the prayer of that moment it was the kidia Eleison. oh yes uh huh which is not in the tonality that is sung today the kiddy was the chant of the Greek soldier returning victorious in battle to the King victory. Okay. We added the second verse to the Christ victory. And at the wow. moment we recognize our vulnerabilities and our need to be together to the King, to the Christ victory. It is no, plea for mercy it is no asking for god's forgiveness it is claiming it
0: wow i was raised lutheran so i i know of it so deep in my bones the liturgy of that
1: i and and uh, and that's where we start okay as we move to a community of true belonging
0: mm-hmm um, just yesterday, I had a conversation with someone who feels like an exile from the church. And in our Zoom call, similar to this, she was like, "Why does this feel like church?" And I said, "Well, I've, as I understand, the Hebrew word for community or was edah, and it, it actually has to do with a witnessing community, similar to what you just said about." Are we giving witness to our vulnerabilities together or not? Or are we coming together just to watch passively something happen in front? Which is not the same thing. That doesn't build community. That builds a concert crowd. But, um, Alexander, this has been the privilege of my month. And I know you don't want to hear that. But <laughs> it really has been. And I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for your heart and for what you're offering others. Oh. So, so needed today.
0: It's true. It, and it. to be honest, it feels like an enormous privilege that I actually have people reaching out to me. I don't even have to reach out to people. But there's really, maybe we can say it, maybe spirit is doing something new the Ruach right now. Well, I want to say thank you so much. I will continue to pray for you. Any publication you put out, I will always enjoy thoroughly. And um, if it's okay, I'm going to keep quoting you in my college class.
1: Yeah, please, please. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Go well.